Welcome to Stutter Stories, where guests from around the world each share the ins, outs, ups, and downs of life and conversation as a person who stutters. I'm your host, Trisha Hedinger. Here's a little reminder. Every time you share a vulnerable side of yourself, you normalize it for someone else. If you'd like to be a guest on Stutter Stories, reach out and contact us at worldstutteringnetwork@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Do it for yourself and do it for somebody else. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Dr. Annalise Bonin from the Brazilian Fluency Institute. And she wants to tell us a little bit about um, the support available for people in Brazil and as well as the push to have speech language pathologists obtain specialty certification in stuttering to up the quality of therapy and provide more people in Brazil who are equipped to provide quality treatment. Welcome, Dr. Bonin. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Tricia. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't you start off telling me a little bit about yourself, Annalise? Well, I'm a speech and language pathologist that is board certificate for influency disorders, according to the Brazilian system, the federal Brazilian system for that. And I'm also the president of the Brazilian Fluency Institute for a long time, for quite a, some time now. And uh, I've been, well, it's a long story, but I've come from the music therapy field. I was, hmm. before I being a, uh, a speech pathologist. I was a music therapy and a music education teacher. So I've been working, I worked in a mentally ill, uh, in a hospital for mentally ill people. And then I went to the States and, uh, and through a master's program and ended up in the speech pathology because I was, I wanted to do voice first. And, you know, being in the music field, I used to sing and things like that. I thought I could do pathology of voice. And that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I ended up doing stuttering just because the life wanted me to do so. <laughs> then I came back. Well, I, I participated in a summer clinic that Dr. Gina Pierian had in Ithaca College at that time. Mm -hmm. And we were together do, as a student. I was supposed to do those things. And uh, when I came back to Brazil, um, people, uh, the clinic that I joined decided that I had to do things that they didn't like to do. And stuttering was one of them. Mm -hmm. So I just... You know, nobody wanted to do stuttering here in Brazil because it was supposed to be an emotional thing. So you should, you know, refer people to the psychology field or the psychotherapy field and not exactly speech pathology at that time. And uh, I didn't agree with that, but it was hard in the beginning to, you know, beginning to change the paradigm. This is mm -hmm. something that is, I think that we are dealing with this up to today. Uh, we still are not exactly 
at ease at this field. We have every time you have to ask, but this is not a, it's not because you're anxious or because you're nervous. No, this is just something else, you know. Yeah. And I've been think, doing this for a long time. Yeah, so many speech language pathologists feel uncomfortable with treating stuttering or um, being involved in it. And uh, it's and it's kind of a, a field where where so many don't, you know, are just they they avoid dealing with it altogether because they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, you know, and I was, t well, during the NSA Global Research Conference that we had now in November, mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to Dr. Scott Yars, we, do, we did some classes together, and uh, we were discussing this up to today. There was an article now, uh, three, four months ago, about, you know, what speech pathologists do think about people who stutter and they feel and everything. And it's still very edgy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been doing this for such a long time. And I know we've come a long way. And, uh, but still in the field of speech and language pathology, it is something that has a lot of, well, we have a lot of room to grow. So this yes. is good if you think about that. Yes, and I think one of the things that Dr. Yaris said that always sticks with me is, we shouldn't blame our speech pathologist for not knowing because so many have such a limited exposure in graduate school yes. and the continuing education opportunities are, I mean, they're among the lowest uh, in the United States. I know at one point they, they were the lowest, um, but, but so, you know, we just need to create more opportunities for education and, and get more uh, board certified specialists teaching at university levels and, um, yeah, so it's it's almost um, helpful for SLPs to feel like we're not blaming you for for not knowing, but we we can say you shouldn't be treating if you don't know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, that's the re, um, what makes me even a little bit less worried is because if you and the states have the same reality that we do have here in Brazil, and we do have this in Latin America because we have, uh, I, I coordinated grad course in the University of Concepcion in Chile, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we've been dealing with speech and language pathologists that want to learn about stuttering and fluency disorders from all over Latin America. And it's the same reality. Uh, they really do not know how to, and that's why they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it doesn't have any cure. Well, we can discuss that, but you know, what does medicine really cure? Mm -hmm. So then why should we be the ones that should be curing everything, mm -hmm. you know, not, not necessarily. So it's a long way and I think it's the lowest. And now here in Brazil in 2007, 2017, we, finally got through the federal council of speech and language pathology that we have here so it will be our asha Carlake or something mm -hmm. uh, the specialty in fluency disorders that we didn't have up to then mm -hmm. and we made a huge um research in terms of what colleges are teaching about speech and uh, about fluency disorders in two or three hours here two or three four hours over there very few schools in undergrad have uh, stuttering or fluency disorders as a 
name in the curriculum that people have to study, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is that. So they, when they leave college and they have to be, you know, competent to do these things, uh, they're not. Mm -hmm. So they end up not doing it. And this is our mission in, this, in the Brazilian Influence Institute. We have to qualify people so that they can work better with people who stutter. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your organization and how you came to be president of the Brazilian Fluency Institute. Yeah, well, uh, we are a, well, I became president because I was elected to, but you know, I, <laughs> I, live, in the, I live in the most southern state, but the base of the Fluency Institute is Sao Paulo, which is, you know, north, up north, south, south east from you know if you imagine the brazilian map which is a triangle like if it's just a little mm -hmm. bit towards the coast um and every, most of people are there so mm -hmm. thank god we have internet and so we can mm -hmm. work online all the time and do things but uh we have this mission we've been the ibf was founded in 2006 and um and we've been doing this main idea of, you know, qualifying, uh, sharing information based on evidence and, uh, and real evidence, uh, the most, you know, the most recent publications about uh, everything that goes on about stirring. Mm -hmm. We've been inviting people from all over to teach uh, our speech and language pathologists that are interested in doing this. So we have a very nice group, but it's a very small group of speech and language pathologists. Mm -hmm. What I have, my vice president is a speech and language pathology and a person who stutters. And we have people who stutter in our member, of, in our group of uh, associates, but basically speech and language pathologists. And uh, with, with this clear idea that we do have to qualify mm -hmm. uh, language pathologists to do a nice work. We all work voluntarily. We do not charge anything. We, don't earn, we do not earn anything either. Mm -hmm. So if we just do it because it's important to do. This is what we feel. That's wonderful. I mean, I think that's what it takes is people who are passionate about making change and, and doing things the right way. Um, so. Um, I'm not a person who stutters and, and you don't stutter either. And so people always ask me, you know, how did you get to become involved in it, uh, in the field or, or in supporting people who stutter? So um, how would you say you became so heavily involved in supporting people who stutter or, or how did you become passionate about it? Well, as I, as I said before, when I came back from my master's degree and I joined this clinic and I had to do it stuttering, uh, there was a very re demand waiting for mm -hmm. somebody who did something like that. Yes. So I began to work in August and in February, I had 60 hours most of work per week, mostly with stuttering. Wow. So all of a sudden, I was the person who, who was doing this. Mm -hmm. and, and then I had to do it, well, the best way I could. And, uh, and later, a lot later, I, I joined the state association, and then I went to the university, and I worked at the university for almost 10 years. 
And the, the only researchers that we do have here now in my state, you know, the investigations that we did, I did when I was at university. So I've been known as the name of the study, you know, the fluency disorders field around here. Mm -hmm. And it's good for, a, for one reason, and it's not so good because I wanted to have a lot more people to do this. Because if mm -hmm. you have 1% one, 1 of adults who stutter, it's a, there is no way you can have clinical or hours to do mm -hmm. and attend everybody, you know? Yeah. But I've been doing this, teaching, and I'm not at university now unless, uh, only at the, at the Chilean uh, at Concepcion, University of Concepcion in Chile. Mm -hmm. But um, I became passionate because I had to study a lot. And I, mm -hmm. I was the only one doing this uh, mm -hmm. in a way that people didn't do it. So I, I didn't think it was an emotional thing. thing. And so it was, this was different at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, sometimes it's still different now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some perceptions about stuttering in your area? Well, uh, it's changing very little but it's changing people still think that um it's more of an emotional thing because you are nervous or because you are anxious and i keep saying well uh, who was not anxious and nervous now with the, the coronavirus for instance mm -hmm. and we didn't begin to stutter anyway so it's if there was a correlation mm -hmm. <laughs> explicit about this, everybody would be stuttering and it, this would be normal, right? <laughs> so it's not. Yeah. Uh, but of course, we have consequences that could be emotional for some people, not for, for everybody. And I have uh, that idea that I do need to get the children. Mm -hmm. Because I have a very large caseload working with very little children, very young. Two, two and a, two and a half years old, and things like that, and they grow out of it. If you do it correctly, they grow out of it. So it's so nice to know that you helped a little child to become fluent for the rest of their life. I mean, this is priceless, you mm -hmm. know. So working with children now, I, the, my majority, the vast majority of clients that I have are very little and mm -hmm. very young and uh, i love it because it's very very interesting to know that you you're helping them mm -hmm. adults are a little bit different you know they have a whole history behind them and everything and a, a brain that is already um more well it's not so plastic anyway you know mm -hmm. so it is interesting. So my, my main focus is, you know, spread knowledge and work with little ones so that mm -hmm. they may grow out of it instead of becoming an adult who's regretting everything that helps, which happens because of stuttering. Even though you are well, uh, if you live well with it, if you accept it and everything else, it's mm -hmm. always a hard thing. Society is very ignorant about that so reacts very badly most of the time mm -hmm. yeah. So. yeah um so what does speech therapy usually look like for people who stutter in brazil um as adults or children well um they don't have, well two people who stutter don't have exactly the best idea i mean because they have been through 
some colleagues that do not have specific knowledge, so they think it doesn't work. Um, they, you know, it's changing. It's been changing. And I think that the, the role that IBF has been playing is very important, you know, in mm -hmm. changing this, including the Federal Council of uh, Speech and Language Pathologies. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been doing good, slowly, Mm -hmm. Turtle-wise, slowly, but mm -hmm. we've been doing, and yeah. it's changing. But you know, adults. I've I have met a lot of people who say who's a, they are adulty. They don't think very well of this, and mm -hmm. the, this is what really bugs me. You know, IBF receives lots of emails of people who stutter, either complaining about yes. speech and languages or asking questions about. Uh, or trying to get out of it, and who who tells me that I cannot? I'm not obligated to do oral presentations, for instance. So we do have, you know, legal orientations and things like that. We have to change this. So that's I like. That's why I like the World Stuttering Network mm -hmm. because this is a way that we can do different. We ha we have to do different because if we're doing up, you know, everybody does the same way. It's not going to get us any place else you know right right so I've, I've met tom because uh i'm very fond of being doctors dr mcguire's friend and we've been he is a partner of the brazil influence institute for a long time yes. he's been here and he teaches us and he, he, stood, he stays here with us so it's good dr yar is also gonzalo Real from portugal too we've been having you know a network of people who are stirring and now you're included. Yes, yes. And I think it's, um, it's great. The more connections we make among professionals, among um, people who stutter, I mean, just connections are good. And so that's, that's our ultimate goal. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's good to hear, you know, of people like you that are really involved and, and trying to change mindsets and trying to change how we do things. And I think, I think that's great. Um, so tell me about the, the current support systems available for people who stutter in Brazil. Oh, one thing I wanted to go back to was, yes, in the, it's the same in the United States in that a lot of people who stutter um, have negative feelings about SLPs, about speech pathologists. Um, and not, not everyone, but, you know, I think times are changing, but there is still a lot of people, there are still a lot of people who had negative experiences in speech therapy, either as a child or as an adult or teenager. They don't like being pulled out of class. They feel alienated sometimes. And uh, therefore they develop a really negative perspective of, 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 speech pathologists and you know we want that to change too so or, or such a heavy focus on fluency shaping and being fluent and being fluent and being fluent and i think that's um that's that's a, a aspect we want to change about our field as well but yeah i think this this is one of the paradigms that's why i do not work with programs i have to work with processes because you know each each person is so unique Mm -hmm. so so unique so for children you do not wait why are you going to wait to a condition to become chronic there's there's no reason you have to wait you have to interfere positively mm -hmm. before it gets 
it becomes chronic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, it, it's a long road, I know, but we have to do it. We do it with pleasure. We love to do it. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, with being uh, accepted well. So we have lots of students. I have three different, four different courses going on now uh, in Portugal, in Spain, in Chile, here mm-hmm. in Brazil. We have two two different courses going on. So we've been teaching a lot so that we can change that gradually. I know every, everything has its own time. But we, we do have to make people understand that you have to look for somebody that knows a little bit about the subject. Mm-hmm. And this is another idea that is, a, I don't know about it, what happens in the state exactly, but for instance, you have medicine. In medicine, you have very different specialties. Mm-hmm. If you have a headache, you do not go to a guy that treats your feet, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, why should speech pathologists be able to do everything? But, you know, the, the health plans, for instance, think mm-hmm. they have, we, have, we have to know everything. It's impossible to know everything. It is yep. virtually impossible to know. So you, you, we do specialize. So we have to change the minds of the people of the health plans and the people with, you know, colleges and grad programs of the population. And I mean, professionals of the education field or, you know, health field. It's a long road, but, you yes. know, we're doing it anyway. Yeah. And uh, I think that we have, you know, this is a very important job that we do have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to encourage people to say, well, I've, I've not, I'm not able to do so. So while I'm studying or what helped me pay for that, or, you know, we have to learn how to negotiate. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that we qualify because mm-hmm. otherwise we, un- we do not qualify. <laughs> there must be a word mm-hmm. in English. That I don't know mm-hmm. now uh, because it, it, it plays in the wrong way. You know, you say, well, speech pathologists don't know how to do well i know how to do certain things not Mm -hmm. everything right you are in school and you have the math teacher you have the english teacher you have the history i mean you have different specialities as Mm -hmm. you say yes right i mean it doesn't make sense right so we have to, to work with these ideas yes yes unfortunately this is where parents are left to vet their speech language pathologists to ask them how much experience do you have in treating stuttering how much uh, background do you have and parents should never be reluctant to ask these kind of questions for any reason and if someone were to respond defensively or be upset with a parent asking questions then then that's probably not the SLP for you um, yeah, we do not have speech pathologists in schools here. Oh, okay. It doesn't happen that way. So we do have a public system, a health, a public health system. Mm-hmm. And you know that we, you have to treat a child as, you know, the closest you can when, you know, you have the first signs of stuttering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they stay in line waiting for an opportunity. Children stay six, seven, eight years in line waiting for mm-hmm. somebody who has the courage to treat them because mm-hmm. they just, you know, passing over because I don't know how to do this. I'm going to do something else. Uh, so this is bad. This is yes. very bad. This is yeah. very bad. So, so we're making changes. We need to make some more changes. Yeah. yeah and keep mm-hmm. going forward.
Um, so, so what about in, in Brazil or even in South America? Can you tell me a little bit about the current support systems available as far as, you know, in the United States, we have a lot of um, support group options for people who stutter. What about in Brazil or South America at all? Um, we do have some support groups like self-help groups in mm -hmm. some places, but uh, still very few. And the IBF is, does not work with, we do not have support groups in this sense mm -hmm. because uh, we are mostly v virtual because we do not have, you know, a physical place to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, we just are, you know, spread all over the country. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, I don't, I, because I do not work with support groups specifically, so I, I, I don't have many data by, about this, but I know there are some very good, some people complain about, well, I guess this is the, uh, uh, the regular thing that you're going to listen in every place, but we, there is no institutionalized thing for that. Mm -hmm. So we have now the uh, qualifications for speech and language pathologists, but we have, we are at the SIBF trying to, we are working with the Senate and with the Congress to have, they're studying a project to transform stuttering and other fluency disorders as deficiency according to certain ideas so that people could be better treated in terms of, you know, public uh, jobs and including in the industry and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that it would be a lot that would give them support to be, mm -hmm. well, it's a people, well, it's a person who stuttered, but doesn't mean it's not competent or doesn't know how to do it. I, right. Sometimes he has a mouth that doesn't work so well and, and so what, you know. Mm -hmm. We've been trying to do this with, uh, uh, alongside with the Federal Council of Speech and Language Pathology and the Congress, now with the pandemic, everything is kind of slow and not going well, but because this pandemic will end sometime, <laughs> sometime, I guess. Mm -hmm. But doing this so that nationally, they would have a better support in terms, at least in terms of jobs and uh, including being accepted in the school and other things uh, that are, they are rejected because they stutter. Mm -hmm. So, and really, you know, the, we have a law that is written in, that was written in 2015, that is, it's written already according to the ICF, which is mm -hmm. nice, so that we're changing the idea of, you know, being a disorder or a pathologist, just a functionality thing that is not doing very, mm -hmm. very well. So, this is basically it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you wanted to talk a little bit about um, larynxes and how they relate to stuttering. Tell me a little bit more about your, your research on that. Well, you know, it's a very long story that I love. Uh, <laughs> in, imagine that in 1990, mm -hmm. long time ago, <laughs> I, I had a client that swore I do stutter. How cannot everybody understand that I do stutter? And I know I wouldn't have a person sitting in front of me saying this if it weren't true. I mean, why? But I couldn't see anything. 
-hmm. We did everything that I could. We videotaped, we went to the streets, we went to drink coffee in the cafeteria. We, we, and I couldn't see anything. Mm -hmm. And I was so amazed that he complained about that. So I, I didn't know what to do at that time. So I decided, uh -huh. well, I'm not going to treat something that I don't see because if I don't see and I don't hear, what can I do for the person? And he couldn't describe me what was going on. Huh. Later on, I had a, another client that said, well, you know, my stuttering is all here. It is here. And if you listen to the person and you transcribe so that you do evaluations and, you know, frequency and duration of stuttering words and things. And I said, well, but this is a very good idea. Uh, maybe this is in here. I remember that first poor client that I couldn't help, and I always regret that. Yeah. So I talked to when, um, when you say in here, you're pointing to your throat, right? Yeah, it's yes. larynx, you yes, know. So uh, there was a time that stroboscopy was just being something that the people of the rhin the laryngologists were just, you know, being fond uh, of. So I talked to a very good friend of mine who is a laryngologist here, and I said, let's film at this through a, fiber, a nasal fiber laryngoscopy mm -hmm. and see what really goes on in the, in the throat of these people. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed. We presented this for the first time here in a Congress, and it's just amazing what happens. And we didn't have literature at that time that could... Uh, really give us support uh -huh. and, and I've been doing this I uh, later on I published a little bit of things and in 2015 I presented some of these examples in a in the I, IFA IFA Congress in Portugal and Dr. Peralm was there and he was just amazed he said I why haven't I thought about that before he was doing electroglottograph electroglottography I see the, uh -huh. you see this, something like this and it's painful because you have needles and things and he said he perceived movements in the larynx but he didn't know how what those movements were when he saw the videos uh, he was just amazing he told me now early I mean before the, the the global research conference he said well you know we've been doing this here at university now so I'm glad. So he, yeah. you know, took the idea and he's doing research with that too. So what did, what did that endoscopy look like? What were you seeing? You see movements that you've never imagined in your life. Hmm. Sometimes they have vocal force trying to get together and they cannot. Or mm -hmm. sometimes they're so closed, they do not open. So you cannot have voice or you, you're totally blocked. Mm -hmm. But the most interesting, you have the back of the tongue, it's interfering a lot. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, the epiglottis interfering. It's, you know, the whole area, it's the vocal tract is compromised. And the, most of the movements that you're going to see happen before you begin phonation. Mm -hmm. So when we have literature now that's saying it's in the premotor, Cartes. Mm -hmm. It's before you trans. While you're thinking and your brain is sending you messages, you know, uh, your larynx is already working, and you mm -hmm. didn't say a single sound yet. You haven't said. 
So when you see this, it's, it's so amazing. And then you can see what, especially where the problem, the major problem is. So you can develop things to do with that group of muscles, for instance, or mm -hmm. what you do with the back of your tongue, or what do you do to relax your vocal tract so your vocal folds will, uh, folds will be working in a more smoother, you say it like that? More smoothly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah, thank you. So Chinese English gets me. Uh, more smoothly, so that you be, oh. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. That's so that you have a better, you know, initiation. And you know, when you, you get stuck, you will get stuck basically in the first sound or in the first, in the first syllable of the word. I did my doctor thesis. Uh, I transcribed 12,000 spoken words. And from these 12,000 spoken words, 1,326 were stuttered and I analyzed one by one in terms mm. of, you know, the size of the word, the, the, the tonic syllable, the, the stress syllable, non-stress syllable, mm -hmm. males, females, bo uh, young children, adults, everything you, you imagine, I did that. Mm -hmm. And 97% of the time, stuttering will happen in the first sound or in the first syllable of the word. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman, if you're children, if you're yes. a girl, it doesn't matter anything. It will happen there. And the most interesting thing is that in Brazil, in Portuguese, at least, I know languages in, in, are distinct, but it happens 49% of the time in mm -hmm. monosyllabic words. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it helps you understand what happens in, in you know, helps you design therapeutic objectives. Mm -hmm. so that you have nice roles to deal exactly what happens with that specific person. So I've been trying to uh, understand this better so my therapeutic work is better and mm -hmm. people get better too, you know. So I, I like the larynx thing and I think this is, we do not have a single penny to do research with neuroimage and everything, mm -hmm. but you know, a fibroscopy, it's very cheap, you know? Yes. It's something that gives you a lot of information. It tells you what's going on here, and it's reflected here. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, uh, it's not, the origin is not the larynx. The origin is in the brain. We know that. Right. So, study is in the brain. It begins in the brain. We know mm -hmm. that. Yes, yes. Well, very good. This has been a great interview, Annalise. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there anything else, anything else you want to talk about or anything we haven't discussed? I think it's been great. Well, I thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I'm here and whatever you need, just give me a call and then I'll, you know, I'll do whatever it's possible with yeah. um, It's a very wonderful opportunity to get Brazil talking to the world in this case yes. so this i feel so happy about that and very humble because i know this is a result of a long time you know a very long work for a long time mm -hmm. but it's it's very nice thank you so much for having me and you just ask me whatever you want <laughs> well thank you so much um it was great it was great to have you and we'll have more connections uh in the future as we go on so thank you very much for joining us.